I think I got so used to coughing that I did not notice it myself anymore. Sometimes I think that we as people, we create a new set of normal when things like that happen. That's John describing his personal experience with lung disease. Welcome to Journeys Through Pulmonary Fibrosis, a podcast by Bo Ringer Ingelheim. This is the fifth episode in our series. In each episode, we give a voice to a guest from the pulmonary fibrosis community who will share their experiences and stories with us. Together, we'll hear heartwarming and courageous stories from the people with this lung condition, their loved ones, and the doctors working tirelessly to support them. I'm Daniel Sinner, and I'll be your guide as we begin our journey through pulmonary fibrosis. Our guest today is John Solheim. John is from a small town in Norway. He spent 10 years seeking a correct diagnosis for his symptoms. In 2019, he finally got the diagnosis of idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, also known as IPF, a type of rare lung disease. Through a strong support network and by staying active, John has been able to adopt a new outlook on life and considers his diagnosis to be the beginning of a new journey. John, thanks for joining us today to share your journey through pulmonary fibrosis. Thank you for having me. I wanted to start off by asking... You had a long journey to get to your correct diagnosis, but when did you first notice something was wrong? Okay, this goes way back during the summer of 2008. I started actually coughing in a way that I have never done before. And the worst part, it didn't really stop again. So I coughed my way for the rest of the year and into the new year, and then brought up the situation when I went to my business medical examination and that resulted in my first ct scan in february 2009 and what were the kind of things that you were experiencing apart from a cough okay it started with coughing fatigue shortness of breath shallow breathing all the classic symptoms of an interstitial lung disease or putting it another way the lungs lack of capability to take up oxygen from your breathing. So this can really also be symptoms of a number of other diseases. So it's not clear cut. So the results was that I was less capable of doing what I like to do and things I had never had problems with before. It was kind of like driving a car with dirty and clogged air filters. When I pressed the gas pedal, my body really didn't react like it used to. Was there a moment at that point where you thought, gosh, this is really starting to change what I am able to do? And how did that feel? And we get used to things like coughing. Uh, you hear it in the first instances. And then when you get, when you get used to it, you don't hear it anymore. So I coughed a lot. And uh, also things like being out of breath, just thinking that I was in bad shape, physical condition and not, I really didn't think more of it, but it limited my ability to be, stay active. I used to play golf. I used to go hiking in the woods and that really was reduced. There might be a lot of people listening who have noticed a persistent cough or noticed some symptoms and just think, oh, you know what? It's probably not so bad. It'll pass. And 
you know, as you say, you get used to these things over a period of time and you might just think it's normal. What, why do you think that you didn't do something sooner and then waited until someone else nudged you? I think first and why I waited so long to do something about it. I think when I, I talked about the new normal that you create for yourself, and I think that's it's a, it's a kind of um, you take care of yourself by thinking it's a new normal. It's it's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, it's nothing much uh, because you really don't want it to be anything wrong. So basically, it was my stubbornness was probably uh, I'm a man, and um, we as men we don't like to be told what to do often. So basically, and we're not going to bother anybody else. So basically, I think that was my main reason for it taking so long. So given that the position that you're now in is looking to support other people who are going on the same journey or maybe beginning a similar journey to you. What would your message be to them if they were feeling that kind of stubbornness right now? First and foremost, um, listen to the people around you. They do know more than you think. I have had, after my wife persuaded me to go and see a doctor about the problem, I had a first medical opinion in 2009 and 2010. Then I had a second medical opinion in 2011 and 2012. And basically what they told me was that the body is working by design. You cough because you need to get rid of something. Go home and cough. It's, it's working like it's supposed to. After that, I went for four years, I went around and saying that the best and brightest mind in the country has said that it's supposed to be that way. So basically, this is how it's supposed to be. My wife, she never, she, she repeatedly told me, John, this is not right. This is not it how it's supposed to be. And I tried to tell her that the brightest minds in the country has said that it's supposed to be that way, but she wouldn't listen. And I'm very happy for that today. So basically in retrospect, I see that was, she was right all along. How important was your support network at the time of diagnosis? How important was it that you had your, your wife with you? No, very important. She is probably not, not probably. She is the reason why I didn't still go around stating that the best and brightest has said. I got a third opinion in 2016 and he spent less than three minutes and he said, you have had, you've been issued the wrong diagnosis. This is what's wrong with you. So, so basically, and that then I was, knew I was on the right track. IPF or pulmonary fibrosis is not an easy and light-weighted diagnosis to make. Uh, but you need people in your corner who are on the right track, and you need people like my wife who will not give up because she knew and she saw that was something wrong. What did that moment feel like when you finally got the right diagnosis in 2016? My body had known this for a long time. I've been in there. When I finally got my diagnosis, it's been close to a decade since my symptoms started. 
and the, and the disease has progressed during that time. So basically, I didn't react that much mentally to, to the situation. And many reasons why, but I think that my body has processed this for close to a decade. So my body was not surprised. It was just uh, thought of my mind catching up to my body. And what did, what did that feel like for you? Learned a lot during the process um, on several areas and several. Uh, I learned one. I learned to take responsibility for my own disease. Having gone undisclosed or with the wrong diagnosis for so many years, um, I am now taking uh, the liberty of, of creating my own dream team of people around me. And that makes, that makes sense if you think about it. Yeah, you mentioned you're creating a dream team. Obviously, the the most important players as part of your dream team are going to be um, your physicians and your family. What role has um, support groups and patient support groups and other people um, with pulmonary fibrosis played in your life? I'm a part of a support group myself. So basically, that was one of the decisions I made is that if my journey can help somebody else, I want to... Uh, really be a put myself out there to to be a part of that so basically um, when you have people in your family as i said they can uh, they know you a lot sometimes you need to talk to people that don't know you that much but then again that know what you're going through so basically um you also need a support network and uh, in addition to your family as your first responders, um, you need also people um, that can relate to you as a patient or to relate to you as a relative to a patient. You know, we have something which is called an equal person. An equal person is a volunteer, often connected to either a, a patient organization or a hospital. Uh, and what they do is that they listen. They have either had or have your disease or is a relative to um, or one of your loved ones has the disease. That means that they can also relate to your perspective either as a patient or as a relative. And you can ask them questions. You can uh, really get to know a little bit about them. And... Um, they are under non-disclosure agreement. So basically what you say will still be confidential. It must be really good to have a support network like that. I know whenever I've been through uh, difficult moments in life, you know, you can rely on your partner um, and you can rely on your family. But ultimately there's times where you feel like you don't want to put that pressure on them to constantly be talking about a particular situation or there are people who are going through something similar where it's easier for them to understand there's less to explain is that how is that how you felt and what role did the people that you had met play in your life hmm. yes uh, i think that's very important and i think there are not as a patient there will be questions you are not going to ask either your wife or your kids, but you might ask somebody else who has the same disease as you. And as a relative, 
there are questions that my wife or my kids will not ask me, but they can ask it to somebody who has uh, an equal person who has um, another loved one with IPF. So basically, it's it's good uh, for both parties, uh, not only to talk to each other as first responders, as family, as spouse and uh, whatever, but also talk to people who can relate to either disease or what the disease do to one of your loved ones. And once you feel comfortable, you've, you found an organization, um, you've got details, but maybe you just go, oh, I feel a little bit uncomfortable. I, I don't want to reach out. I don't want to commit to going to regular groups. What would you recommend doing then? I can tell you what we're doing because uh, um, the Norwegian Heart and Lung Association, uh, I sit on the board there where we are working with other IPF patients. There are only IPF patients that are on that board. And what we do, we have a closed Facebook group. And that closed Facebook group are not for the medical profession. It's only for patients and close relatives to the patients. What we do there is that people can share experiences, people can ask questions. Uh, of course, they are not anonymous in the group, but we try to create an environment where people try. And if you don't want to say anything, don't say anything. If you want to comment, comment. And we publish information, we publish news. And there are a lot of questions and uh, experience sharing within that group. And that is really valuable. Just to go back to an, another aspect that you had mentioned about how, um, you know, you, you obviously do a lot of active exercise. One of the things that you used to love is, is hiking. How important is staying active with your condition? Uh, I think that when you're challenged, you will create as a person, a lot of people would create a new normal how is new your new normal going to look like because it's you you can't just say no okay restart i don't want to do this uh, i'll give up that's not really an option is it so basically you have to figure out what how how is your new normal going to look like what do i want to do to get achieved i know that exercise is not easy I don't think exercise is easy, especially not when you have a lung condition. What about on the flip side, on the positive side? What are the things that you have done um, as a result of your diagnosis that you wouldn't have otherwise done if you, if you hadn't been diagnosed with IPF? <laughs> I learned a complete new ecosystem. <laughs> I learned uh, when I, in 2016, I discovered that um, if I had taken control of my journey myself, things, I'm, I'm not saying that things I would be, would have been different, but they might have changed a little bit before they did. What do you think you could have done differently? If I'm going to make an advice on that, I would say, create your own dream team. I have done that. When I tell a lung doctor, a pulmonologist, 
that you're a part of my dream team. Most of them smile. <laughs> because what I do is that I take the people around me that can be doctors, like my, my ordinary GP or my ordinary doctor. It can be pulmonary specialists in lung. It can be physiotherapists. It can be psychiatrists, P, priest, patient organizations, whatever. You need to set up a team that works for you. I've done that. And I tell people, you're part of my dream team. And I mean that. Because what I've done is that I make sure that all my doctors, they know what it is to know. If I take a CT, I make sure that the entire set of doctors know. Because do not assume that all the actors in the healthcare industry works together by default automatically without you doing anything. That was probably one of my key takeaways. Um, one of my challenges when I was diagnosed or before is that I actually, during my, after my first medical opinion, I also changed the agency that supplied or took the CT scans and interpre interpretation of those. And after I changed that, I did not discover that the second CT supplier did not see what the first did, and they did not get the information from the first CT supplier. So they started blindsided, which led to, I think, that my second opinion doctor had a disadvantage because he didn't see the CT interpretations from the first CT scans. How did you keep everyone, from a practical perspective, how did you keep everyone up to date with your progress for people who don't have that portfolio put together yet? Okay. What I did is that when I went to a hospital, because I have been to several hospitals, I told them which other hospitals I wanted to, to get informed. They send uh, information they send to my GP. They do. But I also have an external pulmonologist and I had a couple of other hospitals. So I basically said, I want you to send my, uh, my documents here. So basically, I knew that uh, they were up to speed, all of them. And that has a value and it had a value for me. I made a conscious decision to move to switch seats. I decided that I was not going to be passenger in my life's bus. I really was going to take the bus driver's seat. At what point in the journey did you decide that you are no longer going to be the passenger because that's quite a big mental shift, isn't it? At one moment, you know, things happen to us as humans. And at another point that you then go, okay, you know what? Enough's enough. I'm taking charge here. That requires such a lot of courage. What moment was that for you? That I tell you, that was, I, I tell you exactly when it was as well. It was the moment that I discovered that my wife had had Bright all along. <laughs> it was the moment at the third medical opinion. We, after a very short chat, and he looked at the, all the data, and he said, you have been diagnosed with the wrong diagnosis. 
And that was seven years after I started my journey. So basically that's when it hit me. I do not believe in the unfailable healthcare system. None of them are. A lot of them are good. None of them are perfect. But they are the best we got. And we need to be able and learn to work with that. So basically, that's when I made that decision. I want to make sure that all people that I would like to know, knows what I would like them to know. So that's when I started to collect a portfolio. And that's why I, when I started to, to really tell the different actors that I would like you to communicate. I would like you to send the information, this and this and this place. And as we come to the end of the episode, if you think about how that transformation on your journey has taken you from first diagnosis to this uh, part of the, the Heart and Lung Foundation and trying to make sure that no one goes through some of the issues that you've faced on your journey, what is the parting message that you want to leave with the listeners? Stay positive. For me, it has been very helpful for my situation because this is a progressive diagnosis. There will be plenty of time for dark thoughts later. And there's no reason really to waste all the energy on that now. There are a lot of different things I would like to do instead. But in addition to that, I would like to say, create your own dream team, take control of your journey, communicate especially with the people that knew you and know you and knew you before you got sick. You're not going to fool them. So you might as well tell them how they, how you feel so that they don't have to create their own scenarios and stories. Thank you. I think there are three great pieces of advice to, to leave people with. And I think you're absolutely right on the positive uh, positive thoughts. There's always time and the mind will always make sure that, that there's space for negative thoughts. Um, you know, don't we all know it? And I think when there are those moments when there's a break in the clouds and you suddenly see a bit of blue sky just to go, Hey, there's loads of gray clouds around, but I'm just going to appreciate this tiny little bit of blue sky whilst mm. it's there. Mm. You're right. The blue sky is not less blue yesterday or tomorrow than it is today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today, John. It's a really inspiring message that I really hope resonates with people and helps people feel empowered um, on their journey um, like you did on yours. Thank you. We would like to give a special thanks to all of our participants for sharing their inspirational journeys with us. And we hope that you've enjoyed listening to them. If you're new to the series, you can listen to all the previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or feedback, please reach out via hello at bowringer-ingelheim.com.